I'd like to welcome everyone to the Roxborough Roundtable. My name is Elena and I'm the student coordinator for the tables. Today our topic is the future of work and our host will be Lara from the Career Center. Hi, so welcome to our experts and guests participating or listening in today for our discussion on the future of work and the technology, specifically AI, that is likely impacting the job searches now and in the near future. Uh, I'm Lara bickert Sorello, the Associate Director for Internships in the Career Services Center at the Jefferson East Falls campus, and I will be moderating our panel today. So before we jump into the discussion uh, topics, we'll have those around the table introduce themselves today. Hi, this is Chris Messick. I'm the Director for the Career Development Center at Jefferson Center City. I'm Tracy DePedro, the Career uh, Center Director at East Falls campus. Patrick Ryan, Associate Director for Career Education, East Falls, Jefferson. Colin Murphy, I'm a college student. Les Tandera, I'm a professor in the College of uh, Design, Engineering, and Commerce, and I teach at Jefferson. I'm Alex Judd, um, freshman and a finance major. Evan Lane, I'm the director of the Office of So let's start by defining some of the concepts that we've been hearing about. Um, I think Chris and Les, you're probably most equipped, uh, but anyone else, if you have other information to add in, please feel free to chime in um, with your comments as we go through the different uh, topics. So I'm going to read through the list, if that's all right, in terms of different definitions, and you can jump in with what's most salient. Uh, so AI, or artificial intelligence, algorithms, automation, machine learning, singularity, augmented reality, and blockchain. So these are a lot of different topics. Uh, vocabulary that kind of are equipped in this discussion. I suppose the artificial intelligence uh, that was at the top of the list, the list um, starts with A. Um, uh, it's basically the ability or capability of, of, the, of a machine, computer, um, to behave in a very intelligent way. So it could be a hardware, it could be a software, but behave sort of mimics our human uh, intelligence. I, when you hear Zenlight, when you hear about artificial intelligence, um, especially in the job market, what I've been hearing is going to take jobs. That computers are going to take the jobs of human beings, and uh, it, that will be a very bad effect on the job market. Uh, is that something you've heard, or have you heard? Absolutely, I agree. But on the other hand, artificial intelligence creates new jobs. So to some extent, we are going to lose some, but we are going to probably double them in terms of gaining new ones that don't exist yet. Just today, they released um, um, a forecast that by uh, 2025, the, um, um, the market for artificial intelligence is going to um, settle at $60 billion. So you can imagine within seven years, jumping to $60 billion out of seven right now, it's quite a jump. Surprisingly, um, going on your point, Oh, I'm Alex, by the way. <laughs> Essentially, though there might be more jobs created in the short run, um, in terms of, and especially uh, like looking and focusing into the self-driving car, we can realize that more jobs will eventually be overtaken than there is population right now. Um, and it could be okay, it could be bad, um, but in terms of our job landscape, we're not quite sure um, of anything that can't be replaced by a robot, whether it's, it could be um, professional lawyer work, um, handling papers, handling emails, um, any sort of 
writing skills, these sort of even possibly creative work, photography, um, art, music even, um, and of course the transportation industry and any sort of hard labor, soft labor, uh, white collar, blue collar, and any sort of job. As we know right now, anything which can be worked on by the hands of the human in possibly only a few years could be replaced by a robot. So to, this is Patrick. So to give you some statistics, our own chancellor, uh, Dr. Spinelli, actually wrote a column earlier, uh, actually this month, where he put a projection, and this may be coming from other sources, but basically the jobs that you're talking about, about a million of those jobs will be automated by 2026. So, and that may be conservative, right? That could be a conservative estimate. That, that could, be, uh, it could be more than that. Um, so certainly the numbers are, are definitely favorable. Yeah. Alex, I'm just curious. This is Tracy from Career Center. Do you find um, that as students, you guys are talking about this, or that it's a concern, or have you heard about that among your peers? I, personally, this is, I guess you could say it's more of a personal research kind of thing. Um, I don't really discuss it with my peers as much. I discuss many things, um, but that's not one of them, um, I guess. I can see when we're looking at the jobs, say creative jobs, won't be lost. But maybe that would be as well as in fashion. Maybe we'll be working on algorithms on what is more uh, pleasing, aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Computers will be easier handling that than, than a person. Uh, we talk about law. Um, a computer, in many ways, can, can build a contract much faster. Um, I can see when I left law, which was 10 years ago, I was doing that just with work, and that is not hardly artificial intelligence, it's plug, plug and play. So I fear. Maybe because it's a lack of education, but I fear um, that the jobs will be taken away. Only those with extremely high skills being able to write code for artificial intelligence will have the job. And where is everyone else for that? I actually have to think, um, you're not going to like this, but there are, in fact, AI that writes AI. There are self, um, and this is okay, this is all okay. We can explain why this is okay later. But, um, I'm feeling there, uneasy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're the sergeant all this. Exactly. Even programmers can be replaced. Right, but to some extent, you still have to provide that knowledge. The computer can put pieces of data together uh, into a meaningful context, which is information. You still have to provide those pieces of data. Um, only very few at the moment artificial intelligence programs can generate new knowledge. We create, they use historical evidence to come up and suggest new paths. However, they have to be guided. There's supervised and unsupervised learning uh, in artificial intelligence, and unsupervised methods provide those new paths. Supervised paths, the supervised ones, you actually have to beat everything and guide them. This is the dead end, uh, please stop. So to some extent, um, you need a human being to guide the computer or at least start the process. And um, there are limited, as I said, number of unsupervised algorithms. And AI can teach AI, obviously. But uh, I think um, we should embrace it and uh, be prepared for it and somehow play a role in it so they all 
the AI over, won't overtake uh, all of those positions and then jobs and all of that stuff. What this is this is Chris. Um, so I think a couple things that we may want to keep in mind with this is artificial intelligence as a concept dates back at least to the 50s. But in terms of the rapid progress, we've only seen that in the last few years. So we're still basically in infancy with what it's going to do. What we do have benefit of is, you know, I've seen this current iteration in economic change is uh, referred to as a fourth industrial revolution. But we've got history to tell us what has displacement and disruption looked like for populations in the past? And are we going to adequately prepare for that, or are we just going to say, jobs will be destroyed, but jobs will be created? And what I've found interesting in a lot of the literature going on, especially in the last year, is there's lots of waving of hands, but there's not a lot of solid solutions being proposed for what do we do as societies with the impact and the disruption? And, you know, and there's inherent questions that are not being asked about what our relation to work is and why do we want to replace things. You know, I've had students in my office that, you know, they want a job that has a certain level of repetition. If we're saying the best thing AI can do is eliminate all the repetition from jobs, we've now got a bunch of unhappy people because their jobs are, you know, lacking the quality that they actually want to embrace. How about in the center of cities? What, what, sure. what do you uh, see as far as surgical, uh, reading of mammograms, x-rays? Yep. Isn't a computer more uh, astute at picking up abnormalities than a radiologist? That's a great question. Uh, there are a number of efforts globally um, working on different types of diagnostics, and there's a lot of boom that comes with that. Um, in economies such as India and China, where there is such a shortfall of doctors, um, you can bring in an untiring artificial intelligence, even a nascent one, and deliver more diagnostics with higher accuracy than you're going to get out of a, a team of actual physicians. Um, and those are rapidly getting better. So there's good that comes with that. Um, so diagnostics is one area, but uh, professionals in radiology and such that are working in the diagnostics front do point out, as Les mentioned, you still need to have this expertise that's not only informing the machines, but also taking a look and making the call and making the interpretation back to the patient and doing extra investigative work. It's not enough to say, well, we've, you know, there's a melanoma we've detected. It's doing that extra digging, building the relationship. Um, and that's something that, at least for now, there's a caveat in there, but at least for now, is still um, avenue for humans. So we've got that side of it. Robotics are um, robotics and probably nascent machine learning area is being learned, uh, used in surgery. Uh, uh, just in the last couple of weeks, it hit the news that nanobots are now being used to treat tumors. So we've got micro-level robotics for drug delivery systems. Um, and being able to accurately hit only the cancerous tissue and none of the healthy tissue around them. So these are great innovations and they're impacting medicine. And what shocked me was for years hearing the, well, artificial intelligence is going to take away the low skilled jobs, the manufacturing jobs and so on. And then about a year ago, it starts hitting the news that the white collar, highly trained professional positions were now starting to have things like physician's diagnostic skills 
now starting to chip away. And that is kind of a, wait a minute, there is no such thing as a safe job. It does not exist. Right, right. Um, there's also an ethical issue here. Let's come back to those self-driving cars. If there's an accident, who's to blame? Are you going to sue the car or the owner or the company or the same thing with the diagnosis? I just have something that is maybe more um, looking at a different way. Why do we have to work? I mean, what is this obsession that we have to? Maybe if we have artificial intelligence doing the work for us, profits are being made, maybe money could be distributed in different ways and we could live better lifestyles. <laughs> the utopia has been dropped. I mean, I think as I've been thinking about that and reading through some of these articles and, and I mean, I do think for us as humans, though, right at the base level, a lot of what we choose to do, and a lot of not everybody, but lots of people choose their work to be their life's work or their passion they want to contribute to meaningful society and progression. So, I don't know, for me personally, I get bored probably. What would we do last thing? Yeah. <laughs> Sail tall <laughs> ships. <laughs> so, I wonder, I wonder, would that be, you know, great for a couple months while everybody kind of took a vacation and then realized? Well, I don't think it would be no work. I think it would be just a lot less. I mean, what if you work in 80 hours, 70 hours a week? And then you'd be working 10, 20 hours a week and saying, my God, time with our family and um, time enjoying our lives rather than getting up seven o'clock in the morning and sleeping. And I think you're missing something. So, I mean, one of the issues with that is we're looking at the time frame of things. Yeah, sure. We might we make in terms of um, how long we work. It's a it's possible that we may have worked more than what we have in the past. It's possible that we may have worked less than what we have in the past. I'm not totally sure. I haven't looked at every statistic in the world. I have been taught uh, with my formal public education that although serfs have had have have had to work a bajillion hours a day, but at the same time, you we're really not sure. Um, I'm not sure at least. So in terms of working, I guess, it it might be a little bit more confusing than this. But on a larger scale, when it comes to the concept of utopia, there's a very big problem. This is all, this is all ultimately, this is, I would have to say, this is the entire solution and problem of, of AI. We're all thinking in material terms. We're all thinking in terms of our own works. Things that are made of putty, things that are made of wood, things that are made of anything that can be either mass or energy.
liberty, economics, law. We can understand things like marriage. We can understand all of these things which robots conceptually cannot think of. So let's leave those things that robots can do to robots and just let Luffy do to us. I mean, this would fix the entire problem. Need more time to do what we do better. So, so, so this is uh, this is Colin. Um, so it's established that AI is going to be a massive impact. I wonder, and what I struggle with is, how do I embrace artificial intelligence, and how do I make it benefit me? Um, mm -hmm. I know there's data analytics tools out there that I don't know how to use, and I know there's artificial intelligence programs that could really benefit like the work that I want to do. Uh, so, is there any any access point that we can easily access artificial intelligence and make it work for us? Good question. Good question. Taking my comment on that, taking, taking one of the intelligence on artificial intelligence classes right now. This is, this is Patrick. So moving on to, so we're talking about AI, but algorithms is maybe something that's a little bit more present in our lives that kind of runs a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Colin, I think you might be talking about you know, applicant tracking systems and these algorithms that I've read can even connect you to a wine that's gonna be for your taste and all of these types of things. So I think that you know perhaps some of those behind the scenes mechanisms that are happening could be things to look into and how those would work for you. Or in a, from a career perspective, how do those algorithms work when you're applying for a job or when you're trying to do work? How do, how do those things affect where you fit into that to that scheme? So it's essentially like studying algorithms? Like, let's define algorithms. Yeah, let's define algorithms. Yeah, define algorithms. Define I have no idea what you're talking about. So what do you mean by algorithms? So in my opinion, an algorithm is a set of equations that comes out to a certain result. Um, so multiple factors that are computated in numerous ways, long you know, computations that essentially come up with a result, factoring in one thing, seven things, a hundred things, 250 things. So you take all of those things, you put them together, uh, you make this computation, and then you come out with your result. So um, if you just imagine kind of maybe pulling a slot machine and there's 100, 100 possible combinations, bang, 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 you get your result uh, at the end, which if you're in Vegas and you're lucky, is a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but how does that affect the job market? That's what I was Yes. So, this is Chris. So, um, as far as the job market, and on a practical side, um, at this point, again, this is fairly new stuff. Um, we've seen in just the last couple of months, a very rapid 
frenzied talent grab among the major tech companies, which raises an interesting question. If we've known this was on the event horizon for so long, why were these HRs and the leadership of these companies not anticipating the need for AI professionals, recruiting them slowly over time and preparing their own internal workforce? So I think there's an illusion of planning that, that, that's there that we, don't, we shouldn't buy into. But if you want to learn about these things, this is early enough that you want to be entrepreneurial about it. You need to be entrepreneurial about it. You, me, anybody in this room are, are listening. It's a matter of looking for opportunities to experiment with this stuff. Um, you know, do a little research. Take it as a proposal to an internship if you can go on. A, hey, I can do, can I do this, this project for you? This is how it might benefit. So it's looking for those opportunities um, and trying to develop your own skills with them. Uh, and then being able to shop that into opportunities to grow up more, get some mentoring, and so on. There's also online um, programs that have responded to the you know, rapid need for more AI professionals. So that might be something to look into, too. Having just mentioned that, if anybody else in Jefferson University hears this, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody starts looking to develop more pathways. We've got a professor here in the room that can teach you about these things, too. So. There's a number of practical steps we can take if we're looking for that. As far as the empathy piece that was mentioned, here's my concern with that, and it comes out of a conversation I had last semester. Uh, we said, while counseling is a field that will always be safe from this, it looks like that. However, Wobot and W-O-E-B-O-T and a number of other AI or machine learning systems can mimic certain types of human counseling. If you take that fact, and that they're very good um, within the type of counseling methodology they use, and you couple that with, I'm not messing, I'm not ragging on millennials here, but a predisposition or a preference among millennials as a whole for um, interaction with machines, and then you add to that again, a human fear of being judged by other people those three things combined, knowing that the first factor, the robots and so on, are just going to continue to get better, can put us in a position where people will actually prefer to find their empathy through a program system rather than a human. So now you're two out of dimension. Potentially. I can probably uh, add a few more factors on there, too. Let's also take uh, public stock investors and price controls. That, too, would also completely throw away uh, any sort of job there's. Uh, out of the basis of uh, economics, quote yeah. unquote, where we're controlled uh, by doing a certain line of uh, actions, whether it's by the fact that we, when it comes to businesses, we're not fully controlled uh, autonomously, we're controlled by our stock investors, people who have you know, given us short-term money. On top of that, you have many, many codes and subjects like that, and many, many handily crafted lack of codes in many areas which makes it so the market is much more like putting a string through a needle than it is uh, a fun entrepreneurial time. So I guess those, those would be more factors to come. It would be. Now, not to throw out, what's your name again? Caitlin. Caitlin, not to completely throw out Caitlin's point and to come back to something that Colin didn't realize he said, is 
there's this assumption of technological determinism. In other words, who's in control of what's being developed? And I think there's a higher value in the human counselor than allowing ourselves to go with what's comfortable but not necessarily push us where we need to be, the insight the human can bring possibly. So it's a question of do we choose for Caitlin's world to be true or for the robots to be true? And, and then also to Mrs. Patrick, to follow up on what I was saying earlier about maybe how algorithms can influence different things is being aware that those things are behind the scenes, right? And so understanding that there's kind of a game or a system to the system, if that makes sense. So for instance, if you apply for a job or you do something, that resume doesn't necessarily go directly to an individual for review. That might be reviewed by automation, and then that determines whether you get put through. So if you're, in your mind, you're thinking, that that just goes to a person, but really it goes into an, a system that then decides whether it goes to a person. You have to know that that process is happening to be able to make it work for you, right? To make that AI work for you. Yeah. And you can talk to any of the career professionals in this room from the university and we can help you get through the um, machine gateways and the human gateways. Because you're writing for three audiences, minimum for a resume going through most systems today. But Patrick's right. As the writer of the resume, knowing you've got those different audiences helps you prepare the right thing to get through that system, understand it. Before I answer something you said regarding the uh, counselors or, or psychologists, those may be, mm -hmm. someone who's been through all the different things my age, I prefer talking to being, say, a customer service. Mm -hmm. But over the years, I've been trained to accept the robot on the other side. So solely that need for robot need for empathy and all that is going to be driven out of us because we're going to be so used to that's what we do. Mm -hmm. and think about the customer service as it used to be for those who are older than twenty or thirty. You used to actually be able to talk to a human being on the other side and, and have some empathy and deal with them. Now there's none of that, but we've accepted it. So I'm fearful and we have all these professionals here on the work end, where are the jobs going to be? Because if they're not going to be brought up on the empathy side, I think that's going to be drilled out of us. Um, where are the jobs? Like that, that must be terrifying. Well, this is Patrick. And Evan, I think really, actually, a lot of people are already catching on to this. So when we talk to students and ask what they're so interested in about work, what does work mean to them? For me, it means passion, something that I, I love to do, something that I enjoy, some, you know, sort of the life's work kind of thing, sort of a you know, fairy tale kind of way. But what we're hearing is stability, things that aren't going to necessarily exist moving into the future. So the answer could be that we don't even know what those jobs look like. We don't know where those jobs will be. And so that ability to have kind of skill and dexterity to be able to move and learn new skills is going to be absolutely a essential. So if you're building houses a traditional way and you don't want to learn any new techniques that come along to build houses, you're not going to be building houses anymore. So you will have to adapt in, in time. We don't even know what that adaptation looks like. Yeah, I think the adaptability is key. And I, I've read a lot and I, I like this idea for students and for younger professionals, the ability to kind of teach yourself and self, you know, and train yourself on maybe new technologies or new processes or, or kind of that innovative, you know, mindset and, and the creativity 
piece. And I think that's really going to be important. And, and because everything's moving so fast that I think students that can be more nimble and are able to, you know, train themselves a lot of, a lot of times on things are going to kind of excel and advance quicker because people and companies, no matter what, whether it's a person or a robot, aren't going to have the time, I think, to put into all of that training. The training piece, I think, is really difficult just with the, the pace of how everything's going. This, this is Patrick again. And I think another thing to think about, too, is you know, how students, perhaps, their perception of how education works is going to have to change. So the idea that you come into school, you learn a skill set, then you perform that skill set for 30 years, we're already past that. And it's only going to get, perhaps, even more where you need to learn more. You might have, instead of two or three careers over your lifetime, you might have 15 or 20 careers over an entire lifetime. Because an industry has moved, changed, eliminated, the list goes on. And I think that's easier to kind of swallow maybe once you work for a little while, even in the first five years. I think for students, and that's what we're seeing a lot when we talk with freshmen or go into the classes, they do want that stability, or that's coming out as a theme. Because at that moment, you want to be able to get out, get a job, work, make money, you know, and, and use your degree. So there's kind of the short-term view, and then there's also going to be the, the longer-term plan. So I think once students get out and even work for a few years, then these other things become a little more realistic, you know, for them, that they can go in a lot of different directions or see different types of roles or how everything's really playing out within their own industry or, or companies. So the teaching model really has to be different. Absolutely. It can't be within narrow frames. It has right. to be the ability to think yeah. and how to adapt to problem solving. Whether it's economics or insurance or law or bypass, whatever, you're moving to that same skill to apply. Yeah. I think to um, go back to uh, answer uh, Colin, right? Colin, Colin Patrick. Whatever your name is. Just a random person. I don't even know you. It's Irish name. So you originally had a, um, I think you were originally trying to explain um, algorithms. I have two words, empirical analysis. And that's exactly what, it, I think that's exactly um, what needs to change when it comes to human jobs. If we ever have to do any sort of empirical analysis, if we ever have to collect a bunch of stuff, that job's gonna be replaced because that's what robots can do. Instead, we need to get to the bottom of things. We need to find the essences of things. We need to find truth and not apples. We can't collect anything and I think those are the only acceptable jobs that will um, remain in the future. Les, I'm just curious in your research or, or in your teaching, do you find when it comes to like creating new ideas or new you know, capabilities or processes or just that innovation piece, will that, because I guess I feel like that's more of a human. Sure, absolutely. Um, I agree. I, um, I completely disagree with the thing that um, um, artificial intelligence is going to take and go into those fields like um, the emotion, uh, empathy, and all of that stuff. Um, so it's not your cell phone that is going to replace your psychiatrist that we see now. Um, it, it has to be someone else there who has all of those um, human capabilities and abilities to judge and to guide you. 
um, the machines will never be, they will crunch numbers faster, they will um, recommend some of the tasks. They can make also huge, huge mistakes if you don't watch them. So that's why they need to be supervised and that's why you need to embrace the, the crunching number capabilities. However, um, you need to utilize it to your own advantage. And that's how you're gonna proceed, that's how you're gonna advance, that's how you're gonna be promoted. Uh, so you don't have to fear it, you have to embrace it. Uh, but uh, you, that, that um, human input has to be there, absolutely. I do have two responses for that. <coughs> the thing is, we have hug bots. That's the thing. Empathy can't be absolutely replaced. Pretty much anything, when it comes to collecting things, anything, whether it's anything at all, if it's with our own human hands, it can be replaced and has been. In fact, this technology is not new, in fact. We've had AI and we've had all of these sorts of, and of course I agree with it. I, I agree that we should embrace this. But I am stating the truth here that this stuff A has been around, B is in the works and is now trying to be, uh, the cost is trying to be lowered and that's the main reason why we don't have all this AI. C, all this empathy can't be replaced by things which can simulate this better than humans can even possibly simulate it. And finally though, robots don't have to be perfect. They just have to be better than humans. That's not, that's not hard at all. That's not hard at all. In fact, most stock traders, by the way, are not humans. They're almost entirely bots trained by other bots. So again, it, all this can be replaced, all this is being replaced. So, this is Laura, I mean, I think just because something can be replaced, we also have decision-making abilities to decide whether we yeah. want it to be replaced. I don't want to be hugged by a robot. You know, so, right, I don't know that I'm ever going to crave that. Right, 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 <laughs> so, right, I do think right. that there will be an overarching ability for us to make decisions about what we want in our life and how we want to interact with the technology and you know, we're, we're hearing from different employers and recruiters that they're making decisions for some parts of their selection process when, you know, they're sourcing applicants to utilize technology to do that. But there's other pieces that they're not choosing. You know, we're, we're still having employers come on campus to regularly meet with students and, and you know, interview It becomes employees. cheaper for them to use robots and people. Or even Personally, if I can't afford an alternative to interview somebody, I guess that's the thing. Humans are ultimately more expensive. But, but I it think it's seems... hard if, if you're if you're hiring someone to work day to day with you in an office. You kind of want to meet them because it's like, can I live? It's you know, a marriage. Can I live with this person every day? So there's the personality piece. I think that is hard even when you're doing a lot on screen, even Skype interviews, it's still difficult to get that um, kind of feel for camaraderie and then maybe the sourcing piece. But at the end of the day, I don't know, I think you kind of want to know. When I started law, every lawyer had a secretary and you had a very close relationship because that person could detail notes, which you schedule and did all the things that are very important for you. Now major law firms, uh, you don't have a secretary. Channeled uh, scheduling is done by a program. Uh, typing is done automatically through voice recognition. So all, yeah, what if you prefer as an attorney to have
have better systems that I used to have when I was a lawyer that you bounce things off of, enjoy their company, share your problems with, without question. But when that individual was costing seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year when you deal with all the different taxes and so forth, and the AI costs ten. Alexa can take care of all of that for you. <laughs> and Alexa's not listening in on anything you're doing otherwise. And I can I can put this in even more of a perspective. Here's the thing. That cost, it's not like it's gonna allow you to afford a new avocado toast. No, no, no. This might be the difference between you going under. It might be the it might not really be the difference of you perishing and you staying alive. That's the real difference. Well, and, and I do. Th I mean, I do think people, in many instances, we are all at least, you know, in my opinion, people are willing to pay for things that they value. And so I think different companies and organizations and individuals will have to make decisions about which of those things do they value more, and that they're willing to outsource or automate versus what they're not willing to, to pay for. And this is Patrick. To give you kind of a real world example of maybe how this could play out. So, for instance, we talk about uh, millennials in the supermarket and how you can do the self-checkout now, AI, right? I can tell you right now, I always go to the self-checkout, okay? But to Evan's point, when I get somebody on the phone or I'm trying to make a customer service claim, I don't want to talk to a robot. I want to talk to a person. So you all have probably seen the Discover card ads where it says, you'll talk to a real person. It's like talking to me. So you might see some pushback in the market based on what people value. So there might be some jobs that we think, oh, hey, I could definitely take this over, but if it's not as effective, which in time it will become more effective, obviously. Mm -hmm. But in the short term, that might be able to kind of curb this from being everyone's out of work to only a few people are out of work. So it's not going to be an exponential change, per se, with sure. some pushback. I, I don't know. Let's just talk about this self-checkout. Um, let me twist it. Two years ago, we, we did a project for a major, major supermarket in Europe. Innovation. A very, very slow, extremely slow checkout lane. They're so fast there, they check you out, um, all of your groceries, you sit there, and you talk to the cashier, like a counselor. You make an appointment, you dress up in your best Sunday clothes, and you are being driven there. The supermarket loved it. That was a student's idea. They loved it. They implemented that. Not every day, not every line. Uh, it was for a specific population. It was for the seniors. They live by themselves, and then they're going out there and talking to someone about the grandchild, and then the, the, the children, and all of those um, cousins, and all, everybody there. They need that, and they dress up for that. They sit on the sofa for 14 minutes, and they spend money. So it's business as well. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. That that's that's an anecdote. I want and, that. And, and those people <laughs> will die off, and the people who are used to only dealing with robots will, you wouldn't even remember what it was like. Look what we do with our phones. We don't even talk to each other anymore. Uh, let's have a conversation. Um, we are slowly training ourselves, very quickly training ourselves away from empathy and away from other humans to deal with our best friend, which is this cell phone. We can't be without it. We're closer to the cell phone. We look at the cell phone more, communicate with more, deal with it more than our best friends, if not even our spouse. It's with us constantly. So who would have thought this 10 years ago? So you know, we're getting trained. I, I, I have to agree, so I want to bring up just the political aspect of it. There is going to be the pushback. Like we saw, for example, co-workers. We don't use coal anymore. We don't need coal. Coal's gone. But we still had that pushback in the last election for the co-workers. 
Um, so you're still going to have a political pushback, but that will disappear as well because they'll die off, and there's not going to be any more coal, and there's going to be other forms. And I think it's going to happen a lot faster than people think. And I don't, I don't know. I'm hoping we'll be on the good side of it and we'll have more time, or we'll have far more poverty and people will be out of work, and only the rich will benefit from this, which is the cynical, more likely way that it's going to go down. With that very positive aspect, I'm going to leave you with dystopia instead of utopia. Thank you very much. So this is Patrick, and I just want to thank Evan uh, for uh, giving us the both ends of the scale. We don't work but 10 hours a week, and uh, we stopped that. So we, we've really gone the gamut now. We've done it all. Well, if you guys want to lessen this project, uh, this, um, this event, if you all want to make this slow and make this process slow, it's all within economics. The entire reason that people are replacing their less is because they're cheaper. And if there's, A, less um, barriers to um, go into a certain uh, industry, or B, if there's less price controls, um, and C, if there's less uh, price inputs, this would all make it so that workers are still comparable for a very long time. So if you want to have all your high-costing, high-tax, high-price control um, codes and stuff like that, so be it. But that would replace every job imaginable. So that's ultimately the choice here. This is Caitlin. Um, on that note, I actually read that in 2016 there aren't two confirmed AI lawyers that um, work in corporate law. So it's not just like co-workers right now that are white-collar workers. Um, on another note, with uh, we were talking about creativity and how that might be kind of the edge that humans have over AI. There is, I've, I've read, I haven't heard, listened to it yet, but um, an artist called Emily Howell on Spotify, which isn't an artist at all, it's actually an algorithm, and it makes beautiful piano music. Um, so sometimes we can look at that. But I, I think then on the flip side, so AI can definitely take on creative roles and white collar roles like like lawyers, but it kind of comes down to to what you love to do. Humans can feel again empathy when we go back to that. You love you love to do something, even if it goes to that utopian world. You love to make something, create something, bring attention to that, whether that's a job. To, and to Evan's point, this is Patrick, before he left, um, I think I agree with you with the empathy piece. I think we're probably still a few generations away from people not using humans for emotional support and things of that nature. Certainly there may come a time that that will, that will happen and it will be able to be replaced. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's good news for or at least some of us in the room. I don't know. So we retired, right? Yeah, right. I don't know. I don't have to worry about it. So this is Chris, and I'm not nearly as optimistic as Patrick on, on how many generations it's going to take. I think it's going to be far more rapid, unfortunately. But, I mean, Caitlin does keep coming back to something that is worth noting, so I'm going to take us back to ancient Greece. Because one of the things going on in this conversation, not this conversation, I mean, not the roundtable here, but in our society, is 
that's um, not being stated explicitly is what is the nature of work and what is human relationship with work. And I take us back to ancient Greece because much of Western culture was so informed by it. And the Greek notion of work was it is a burden that the gods have put on humans and it's a punishment. And if you look at our popular entertainment and how our popular entertainment reflects our thinking about work, work is burden. Work is something to avoid. And if the calendar, and I believe it is the right calendar that Caitlin is voicing, if the calendar is this thing about our passion and what do we, what do we want to develop and who do we want to be, a very Gene Roddenberry, idyllic Star, Star Trek sort of world, then we need to be intentional about that conversation and stake that ground. As opposed to the counter push, which is we want the robots and we want the artificial intelligence because work is burdensome and we're going to alleviate this burden from everybody. But we also have to acknowledge for most of the world and for most of human history, work is difficult. And when we talk about doing what we love, we need to acknowledge I mean, that there's an elitism there. That's a rarefied space to be in. And if we can leverage this technology to expand greatly the number of people who have that opportunity, that may be a direction to go in. But we have to be in control of it and not letting a handful make an economic decision that's good for them and leaves the rest of us sitting there scratching at the dirt, hoping we can find something to eat. When it comes to work, I have to choose a third position. I'm not going to be one. I am going to be one that says that um, the overjustification effect exists. The whole concept of you trying to have a job that you're going to love you're going to hate it soon. Um, this is also because of hedonistic adaptation, um, essentially where the human will never be satisfied with something that changes, because change is decay. This is entropy. This is science. We know this. But, but on the other hand, though, um, we also... What is your other option again? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Work is a burden. Work is a burden. This is, this is not completely true. I have to take the stoic stance. Work is virtue. We should be focusing on virtue, ultimately. Um, the ancient Stoics have made an, an even more influential mark on Western history than, than the concept of work being burdensome. Anything from our modern religions, whether they be Western or Eastern, anything from any sort of philosophy we've taken, anything that has allowed our society to flourish is inherently stoic because ultimately we're working for virtue. We're working to be the best we can and that's why we work. It sucks. It totally sucks. But Even though most of the world, ancient world religions predate the stoics, that's a bit of a reach. But, but <laughs> no, modern religions. What about Christianity, Buddhism? What about Christianity is not a modern religion. It's based on Judaism and so it's therefore an ancient world religion. It's It was absolutely changed though. There was a lot of like, we don't need to have a theological discussion, though, but the essence of our society has held up because of the concept of virtue and becoming virtuous. This is Colin. Um, going back to what you were saying about trying to manage, making sure it's not a verified class of people that have access to AI, how do we really democratize artificial intelligence and make sure that, you know, everybody that wants to work with AI knows how to work with it? Yeah. That's a great question. I, I wish I had an answer yeah. for you, Colin, but I think the challenge is 
um, goes to what's driving this revolution. And there, there seem to be two primary factors. There's the economic factor. There are those that will economically benefit from the cost savings. So the question on that front is, who is that and can we democratize that? And the other front is, you know, those that believe that in a sort of technological determinism. And progress of a very particular nature is inevitable. And we must just embrace it. And that generates a certain level of fear within humanity, within people. Fear is a powerful motivator. It's why, unfortunately, decades ago, people in my profession of psychology um, went into advertising and leveraged fear. And fear continues to show up as a primary driver in, in all advertising, or, very, or most of advertising. The fear of being left out, fear of not um, keeping up with everybody else. Um, and so there's a whole lot of me too going on. We don't want to be left behind, so we're going to embrace something rather than step back and say, is this good? Is this good for me? Is this good for my community? Is it good for my workers? Is this the best, most beneficial thing we can do? And can I risk absorbing the cost if it's more expensive to take an alternate route? And this is Patrick. And Colin, I think one of the things, too, that we have to think about is that, you know, there's also a lot of disbelief, right, on how fast this can happen, on how relevant it is to me, uh, because people aren't seeing necessarily the direct implications right in front of them. So they're interacting with an ATM, they're interacting with a self-checkout, you kind of are seeing it happen, but you're still kind of in disbelief that some of these jobs will truly go away. So it's, it also becomes a burden on the educational institutions to explain the importance of this or even Better than that would be to integrate it into the curriculum no matter the subject matter, so that you cannot avoid it. Just like with reading and writing, right? We always integrate reading and writing because these are key skills that you must have in order to, to be able to think. So these are maybe some strategies that, that we could look to be able to implement, make sure everyone can kind of get a little piece of it. Yeah, and, but I think that's what we, aim, we need to aim for, is that democratization, but that will be a challenge. It seems like coding is that barrier right now. Like you have to code if you want to access these tools or understand them. Is that I, the case? I would disagree with that because there are um, very friendly algorithms right now out there that are uh, for high school students, and it's all artificial intelligence, and these are all science problems or business problems. Very easy, like Apple computers. You have just icons. You click here and there. And just um, dump the stuff there, data and information, and see what happens. So you don't have to understand. Obviously, we need programmers, but uh, some of those are so sophisticated that um, anyone can do. No need. You don't have to be a programmer. Uh, they are so friendly, user friendly, and uh, they are so powerful. On, on, on the other hand, so it's gonna just enhance whatever you are doing. It's gonna support your major, and it's gonna support your work down the road. This is Chris, and um, I would encourage, I mean, with my own kids, I've uh, tried to raise them to learn at least some basic coding. Not because I want them to be programmers. If that's the route they choose professionally, that's great. But this I mean, technology is around us and so integrated into what we do on such a, on a daily basis. It makes sense for us to understand how this works on at least a basic level. 
Just like we all know the basics of electricity from elementary or middle school science classes. So, you know, do I need to know how to develop a, an articulated urban power grid? No, but knowing some basics about how it probably works and gee, that transformer sparking, maybe I better stay away from it. You know, I think it's a, it's a helpful skill that we need to have that just becomes part of our normal skill set for survival in modern life. Just like um, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you would definitely put on your resume that you had proficiency in Microsoft Office. Yeah. Because it was a rare thing. Now, you put it on there and people are gonna wonder if, when was the last time you updated your resume? <laughs> right? And I teach, my, I teach students, if you see it in a job description, that's a good sign the job description hasn't been updated lately. Because it's, it's a given. You can walk into any classroom in Jefferson or any other college in the country, for the most part. There's one or two that would be exceptions. Um, and ask the entire ask the class, how many of you have used a word, pro word or some other word processing software in the last week to know what you're doing with it? Every hand will go up. And this is a great example of integration, right? Yeah. You have to use these tools to complete the assignments. Yes, yeah. mm -hmm. but it makes sense to know some of how these things work, even if it's not the work you're doing. Even if you're not going to break open your phone and start recoding your your um, your iPhone, your Android, that's fine. But know the basics of what's going on there, and listen to the experts. I think it's notable that um, you know just in the last few months. People that were in the ground floor of both Google, Facebook, and some other major media, or major tech companies have now taken a stance and are working for legislation and ethical guidelines to limit the reach of these companies because they've realized we've actually rewritten the way we interact socially. We are causing profound impact on human behavior, and these people are owning that they created that and that we need to step back. And so I think we need to listen to those people too and go, wait a minute. <laughs> so, but edu educating ourselves is a big piece of that. Okay. Hi, uh, building off of what you just mentioned, I'm wondering if our tech might be able to resolve that. Just kind of question not even uploading the other files that we're doing from uh, programming because we're always going to be in control of the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that there's always going to be some sort of input to learn how to start to be more mindful of modern for that. But there have been a number of incidents of artificial intelligence or machine learning or neural networks doing some very horrible misidentifications within photo sets. Mm -hmm. so, um, but well, and I think the 
good news, I'm blessed yeah. you probably know more than anyone, but it's so much more research and literature and, and public information is coming out that that's what kind of I, I'm feeling better about, that it's in the forefront of everyone's mind. I think it is more of a discussion and people are doing their homework and doing their research and you know, giving information to, to the public. So I think it'll kind of trickle down. I mean, and that even has, we've noticed even in our own professional associations, such a rise on this topic and the things around this, even in the past 18 months. I mean, everything that kind of comes out has an element to this. So I think that'll help. I, I would imagine, you know, over time that we're going to know more. Sure. Uh, it's also going back to the, um, how we, uh, detect uh, uh, sentiment. So there's a way we say things, uh, and right. obviously the, the machine-generated code wouldn't say that. Uh, praise our uh, worker or hate him, okay? Um, we would go much deeper and say, well, my cousin has suffered from that. That's a good way to go. And uh, uh, the, and if someone really hates that medicine, the, or, or it's a competition, they might write, oh, it's just a bunch of uh, not useful drugs. And, but the way we express things, and then, 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 then we can pick them up. So the same thing uh, when you are being interviewed, you can pick up all of those features, who is behind. Uh, it's just the job we are going to offer you, but it, who's behind you? Well, who, what, what are the human um, capabilities you have? It's not the machine that is going to judge that sentiment, because to some extent it will, and it does, but it will never be able to do it as we do. So we can evaluate people better, and we can detect that sentiment better towards another person, towards um, our company, towards the product or service. Uh, so there are aspects, again, and then it, um, it all trickles down to empathy, to detecting sentiment, to how we um, react and then how we embrace that. And uh, coming back to my very first point, we have to embrace it uh, to our advantage, and we have to utilize it that way. So we're almost out of time. I think we have about two minutes left. Is there are there any final thoughts that folks would like to share um, around the pieces that Julie just talked about? I guess the final word would be uh, empirical analysis. Uh, ultimately, again, with robots, what they do is they collect stuff. It can be very subtle. Anything from senses, anything from the way someone may speak, and anything so simple as just collecting apples. But this is what robots do. So if we have, if we're ever going to try to find a solution, an outright solution to AI quote unquote taking over all the jobs, we need to find a way to stop collecting things and start doing something else. And this is Patrick, and you know Evan helped us with uh, giving us the uh, utopia and uh, the dystopia. Uh, utopia being you don't work as much at all, or you work a lot easier, and the dystopia being a complete economic collapse. So. <laughs> I, I, I think that, uh, like Chris said, I mean, we got to get integrated into these things. We got to figure out how to use them within our own disciplines, within our own professions, um, and see if you know that can help train us and keep us relevant and current. This is Chris, and I just my closing thoughts are: we have to decide: is technology made for humans, or humans for technology? <laughs> Sorry. Thank you guys.